0: Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out, starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. It's
1: 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama. A black woman gets on a bus, Sits down and is eventually told by the bus driver to give up her seat for a white person. She calmly refuses to surrender her seat, but then was forcefully removed from the bus and eventually arrested. It was her act of civil disobedience that sparked legal action, which led to the end of Alabama's segregated bus laws and empowered a widespread civil rights movement to gain momentum. You're probably thinking, that brave young woman is none other than Rosa Parks, right? Well, sort of, because nine months prior to the Rosa Parks bus ride in the same city, on the same bus system, with the same laws, and with the same type of forced exodus and arrest, a 15-year-old girl did the same thing. So who is this young, brave teenager? And why don't we know more about her, especially when compared with Rosa Parks, who did the same thing almost a year after this girl? Find out today on this episode
0: of The Missing Chapter. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for joining us. Another episode of The Missing Chapter podcast. I'm Phil Hornder here with Phil Shaw. We are sitting down, I have to say, this morning to a very nice Ethiopian blend coffee. Um, it's it's very basic. It's very smooth. It's paired well with the baked goods that a, a co-worker of ours was nice enough to drop off this morning. And all in all, it's just a great time to be doing a podcast Uh, We're really anxious to get to this story. Phil and I at at any one time might be researching a number of different uh, stories and a number of different topics. And we do that so that we can try and pair these stories with current events or things going on in the world. And sometimes we do a better job with that than others. But certainly I think what Phil has prepared for us today Fits well with where we are in the calendar for 2021, Phil. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that segue. I think it's um it's
1: pretty fitting. Uh, we've had this uh, story in our in the in the back of our minds for a while now. This is actually one of the first stories I researched uh, when we started this podcast, and it was it was one of those things where when I read that story, you had that wow moment where you think you you knew um, a lot about a topic, and you know this is this kind of hit you in the face and said, "Wow, there's more to this story than I ever knew." Um, you know, February is Black History Month. March is actually Women's History Month. So what what better time to talk about this person than now? So in the introduction, I didn't reveal who this woman was. Um, if you've ever heard this story before uh, or have, have just been enlightened by this story in the introduction, this woman is not Rosa Parks. And as I was reading this story to begin with, um, that was the first person I thought of. And, and it was pretty eye-opening to realize it was not Rosa Parks. It was a, a woman by the name of Claudette Colvin. Uh, she's born in September 5th, 1939, raised by her great aunt and uncle in um, rural Alabama. Pretty smart girl, uh, and she was very aware of what was going on in the time period. She was well aware of the, the racial segregation, um, and, and quite literally at a young age, uh, she knew this was going on. So she's, she's pretty privy to the times. She went on to join the NAACP Youth Council, uh, which we'll actually have a, a story about that a little later. Um, and I, I think this is part of her story as well. It's kind of a minute detail, but I think it's it's um, pretty important to include that she loved wearing her hair naturally, and it was it was in defiance of the pressures uh, of the time to have it straightened. And I think that's that's an indicator of what what she is and where she is at in her head uh, mentally, thinking that hey, I just want to be an individual. I don't want to be seen by, by my skin color and and um, kind of fit into the the cultural norms at the time. Um, but before this bus incident, she was learning about black leaders at her segregated school. You know, the Harriet Tubmans, the, you know, the runaway slave who led more than 70 slaves of freedom through the Underground Railroad and Sojourner Truth, um, a former slave who became an abolitionist, women's rights activist. So she's really becoming quite inspired. And I love the fact that, you know, here we are, Phil, as teachers, always looking to inspire our students and tell them um, proper history. And, and this is an example of a direct result of a, of a teaching uh, in a classroom that inspired this girl to be more of who she really wants to become. I think it's, I think it's very inspirational.
0: Yeah, no, I think you make a great point there, Phil. And I also, I, you know, as you're telling the story, I'm just in awe too of just how young she is. I think we lose perspective. You know, that's a young age. Yep. Um, and I know very little about what you're going to uh, talk, talk about today, but I'm thinking at, again, at that young age, we always put it in, relation to maybe our own kids or the kids that at least we work with every day. Right. And I look at these kids, you know, as freshmen and sophomores as being young, she's really young. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, and I think that's something that as Phil kind of lays out this story, keep in the back of your mind and keep bringing up that, you know, she's in the face of some pretty dark evils is showing a lot of courage. Oh, hundred percent. You know, and when you combine that with how young she is, I think it's even more impressive for sure. So you
1: know, when we talk about this this class, the, the classroom is actually, um, you know, this takes place in March and, you know, February being uh, Black History Month uh, then as well. They, they really embodied this history and tried to inspire the students, um, you know, based on on the, the times like we're doing right now. So the class that it had been talking about the social injustices of the time as well under Jim Crow segregation laws, um, like not being able to eat a, at a lunch counter or, or trying on clothes even um, in one of the books that that's out there about Claudette Colvin. She was even quoted in saying, you know, we couldn't try on clothes. You had to take a brown paper bag and draw a diagram of your foot and then take it to the store. Can you imagine all that in my mind? My head was just too full of black history, you know, the oppression that we went through. It felt like Sojourner Truth was on one side of that bus pushing me down into the seat. And Harriet Tubman was on the other side of me pushing me down. I could not get up. So I I wanted to include that quote first because I really think that's... um." a good segue into what actually happens on this bus ride. So the bus ride takes place on March 2nd, 1955. So Colvin was riding home from school with some classmates, um, you know, pretty typical day. And then the order came from the driver to vacate a row of seats in the back uh, to accommodate a white woman. And this is kind of an order that's honestly all too familiar to people on on this bus system. Um, You know, as, as history tells us that that typical bus system in the South is, is where a lot of uh, history comes from. So three of her classmates actually get up, but Colvin doesn't move. Uh, and I'm sure you know her friends were pretty scared of what, what might happen. They're probably looking at her, kind of urging her, like, whoa, where is this coming from? What are you doing? Um, she was quoted in saying, I wanted the young African-American girls also on the bus to know that they had the right to be there because they had paid their fare, just like the white passengers. Uh, she told this to uh, Time Magazine. This is not slavery. We shouldn't be asked to get up for the white people just because they are white. I just wanted them to know the Constitution didn't say that, and I think that's a big piece of of this puzzle. Here is she wasn't just someone that was inspired by a story, but she was inspired by the area that she grew up in. That her teachers were were not just you know spewing random facts at her, but but giving them basic constitutional values that you know, everyone is created equal under the law, especially under the Constitution.
0: And I'm wondering, Phil, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and I'm not sure what you're going to touch on here, but I'm wondering, based on that, it also sounds like this is something she'd given some thought and actual um, consideration to doing, maybe, Uh, uh, rather than it being spontaneous on that particular day saying, no, I'm, I'm just not going to move for this woman. Or is this... This is the time I'm actually going to carry out a plan that I thought about for some time now. That's a that's a great question. So I think I think to answer that, you know, we're
1: on this side of history where she was on the other side. So mm-hmm. she didn't have a Rosa Parks to look at to be inspired by because she eventually inspired Rosa Parks, not vice versa. And I think it's important to mention that at this time in history, especially in rural Alabama, with with all the issues going on with this uh, this bus system, there were actually people who had not really boycotted it altogether because they didn't become unified until, you know, a little bit later, but there were people that were refusing to give up their seat. It just wasn't popularized until after the Claudette Colvins and, and the, the Rosa Parks. So but that's a, that's a great question. Um, so she is inspired by a lot of what's going on in her classroom. And, you know, I, I just think that's uh, that's an important piece. So as she's sitting there and she has to make this, this, this decision, uh, two officers actually board the bus to make the decision for her, but it, you know she said without cursing at them or becoming violent, she she simply just said that she knew her constitutional rights. And there's a great book about Claudette Colvin called uh, Twice Toward Justice. Um, it's a book by Philip Huse, uh, great first name by the way. And uh, she asked to describe the incident, and uh, here's what she said about it. And I think this is this is kind of chilling. So I'll just read a direct quote here. One cop grabbed one of my hands. And his partner grabbed the other. And they pulled me straight up out of my seat. My books went flying everywhere. I went limp as a baby. I was too smart to fight back. They started dragging me backwards off the bus. One of them kicked me. I might have scratched one of them because I had long nails, but I sure didn't fight back. I kept screaming over and over. It's my constitutional right. I wasn't shouting anything else profane. I never swore. Not then, not ever. I was shouting out my rights. It just killed me to leave the bus. I hated to give that white woman my seat when so many black people were standing. I was crying hard. The cops put me in the back of a police car and shut the door. They stood outside and talked to each other for a minute and one came back and told me to stick my hands out the open window. He handcuffed me and then pulled the door open and jumped in the back seat with me. I put my knees together and crossed my hands over my lap and started praying. All ride long, they swore at me and ridiculed me. Um, I'll leave the profane language To another time. That it's it's pretty lewd, Uh, but I I will tell you that um, you know some of the some of the reading here it was really chilling to read. Uh, But she does say at that point being scared, I then recited the Lord's Prayer and the twenty third Psalm over and over in my head, trying to push back the fear. I assumed they were taking me to juvenile court because I was only fifteen. I was thinking now I'm going to be picking cotton since that's how they punish juveniles. They put you in a school out in the country where they made you do field work during the day. But we were going in the wrong direction. They kept telling me I was going to Atmore, the women's penitentiary. Instead, we pulled up to the police station and they led me inside. More cops looked up when we came in and started calling me Thing, like the bus driver did originally. They booked me and took my fingerprints. Then they put me back in the car, drove me to the city jail, the adult jail. Someone led me straight to a cell without giving me any chance to make a phone call. He opened the door and told me to get inside. He shut it hard behind me and turned the key. The lock fell into place with a heavy sound. It was the worst sound I ever heard. It sounded final. It said I was trapped. When he went away, I looked around me, three bare walls, a toilet, and a cot. Then I fell down on my knees in the middle of the cell and started crying again. I didn't know if anyone knew where I was or what had happened to me. I had no idea how long I would be there. I cried and I put my hands together and prayed like I had never prayed before. So there's there's part of that quote that, as I read that the first time and as I'm reading it now, you know, apart from the gut wrenching actions and the profanity, uh, you know, the, that these people were, were using towards another human being, much less a teenage girl, I just think that the the part that jumped off the page for her. Was the realness of the situation really taking hold of her when the cell door clanged shut and the key going in, slamming to the locked position? And a few years ago, when this story started to become a little more popular, she was um, asked about that. And she said, you know, at this point, uh, she's 81 now. Uh, but at this point, I think she was probably in her 70s uh, when she was asked this question. And she said, I can still vividly hear the keys locking me in. And it was just so interesting to me that out of everything that happened that day, the part that was the most chilling for her wasn't the profanity. It wasn't the comments. It wasn't the brutality of being ripped off a bus and thrown into the back of a police car. But it was the keys locking it shut. I, th- there's there's got to be some symbolism there, Phil. I, I, but it just, for me, that, is the, that was like the turning point for, for her was the, the finality of that that slamming that lock shut.
0: Yeah, Phil. And to hear you recount that and tell that that excerpt there's almost like a poetic element to it yeah where she's telling this it's the story of what happened to her but the manner in which she tells it i, I it's hard to describe i hope the listeners right. picked up on it too but it was almost like you were listening to a poem 100 yeah. and the thing that for for me that stood out i was too smart to fight back yeah they were trying to put her in a situation by being belligerent by being violent For her to make matters worse, and again, I go back to how young she was, how smart she was. Oh, for sure. She didn't compound the problem. She she constantly referred to her constitutional rights. Yeah. And I, I, she seems far mature beyond her years. And I'm wondering how many people would be able to be that composed under those circumstances. Probably not many of us, myself included.
1: Oh, me too. And I, I thought the same thing. Like you know, for someone to spew that kind of profanity, the lewd comments, the that the violence towards her, how do you not want to defend yourself? And for her, it was, it was all about, Hey, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm scared. I'm not going to be reactionary, but I am going to respond. And she, what, how does she respond? Not with violence, but with actually the Lord's prayer right. in Psalm 23. I, it just,
0: it, it's very, very inspiring. And things escalated so quickly. It goes yep. from a very, very calm situation where she's just, you know, very, very calmly uh, refusing to give up her seat to these two police officers you know, tearing her out and taking her to, you know, not, not a juvenile place like she'd expected, but an actual jail for grownups. I mean, it had to be terrifying. Oh, it
1: had to have been. And I, as we're talking here, I'm, I'm just reminded of some of the things that I I've heard Martin Luther King say, you know, and, and his faith was something that inspired him and he's, he's pulling out uh, the constitution and he's pulling out scripture that says, you know, we're all created equal. And, and I, I, I don't see him um, in, in any sort of situation becoming violent because he's always he's always inspiring other people, uh, especially by his own faith. And here we have a 15 year old girl who has that MLK ask about her. Right. You know what I mean? Like she has this ability to respond rather than to react. Um, and and it, even while she was sitting there alone for a few hours in that cramped space in the cot, she mentioned, which, by the way, had no mattress. She's crying, she's praying, she's audibly saying the Lord's prayer. Um, very, very similar to what an MLK would do. It, you don't respond with violence, but you respond uh, you know, in prayer. I, I
0: it was just awe-inspiring. Yeah, and it sounds like she's relying really, like you said, on her faith. Completely, but also on the fact that you know what, I know I'm right. Yeah, that's true. You know, I'm 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 doing something that I know is right, and I am not in the wrong. Right, and that's what she, she's holding on to as well. And I think there's a lot of strength that she's drawing out of that.
1: Yeah, and if you actually go back, you know, even prior to the the civil rights movement, um, you know, a lot of our founding fathers were inspired by by preachers and ministers and pastors. Uh, MLK was. It, it would be the first one to admit he was inspired by a few pastors, and and she Claudette it, it Colvin was actually inspired by her family pastor, which by the way, her family pastor was actually the one who arrived to bail her out a few hours later. Really? Yes. So and it, it's interesting. The same classmates that were with her on the bus actually ran home and uh, called uh, Claudette's mother, Mary Ann Colvin. And uh, Mary Ann Colvin called Claudette's pastor. Um, the Reverend H.H. H. Johnson was his name. He had a car. So together they flew to the police station, but it was actually the pastor who bailed her out, which I think is an interesting piece of information there. And you know, I we got we got talking before uh, this episode, and and uh, I just kind of gave Phil a little background of what the story was about, and uh, we got talking about the, the the background of Claudette, and I I did mention with not too much detail, but and I did mention in the beginning of this episode that there was a um, that she lived with her her relatives, not with her mother. And the the question that Phil had before we started recording was, what was the, the relationship with her mother, and, and honestly, I don't really know. And that that might be something like a follow up episode because there really isn't a whole lot of information about her relationship with her mother, but more so with her relatives. Um, I know her mother was a was a very hard worker. She was a she was a maidservant for a lot of different people. So I'm wondering if that was just the case why they didn't they called her mother, but not the relatives that she was living with. That's a question that we could maybe have answered later on. But she was worried about fallout, the backlash. Um, after this incident incident took place, but she's incredibly proud of herself because she really didn't realize that she had it in her. And I I think this is very fitting to a lot of our episodes that you just have regular old normal people, normal civilians doing unbelievable, inspiring works, um, never really anticipating that I could
0: do that in that kind of situation. Yeah, it was one of the things we touched on. I think when we did our first chat, Phil, is that you know what are intentional and unintentional themes that seem to have resonated throughout these 20 plus episodes. And it is, it's, it's the regular person and, and the ability of one person to really make a difference. It sounds almost cliche to to say, but if you listen to these episodes, I think it's true. I mean, history is made up of great individuals, great leaders, but it's also made up of people who are just strong willed and, and have a faith in what they're doing and their purpose. Completely. And I think, you know, she, she seems to embody that. Yeah, And she really came into her own and she said, this is who I am. And
1: no one's going to really take that right away from mm-hmm. me. I, that's a great point. And I, I also want to point out too, that, that this really, I mean, nine months prior to Rosa Parks, the question I had when I first read this story was, well, did Rosa Parks know this girl? Was she, was Rosa Parks the, inspired by this 15 year old? And the answer is actually Yes. Mm-hmm. So as much of the glory that Rosa Parks deserves and gets, she really wouldn't have been Rosa Parks if Claudette Colvin wasn't Claudette Colvin. Um, Parks knew Colvin from the NAACP Youth Council. So that's that's really what inspired her um, to do what she did in, on the bus nine months after that. I Just imagine that. A teenager who was inspired by what was taught in the classroom, sparked a movement that would essentially end the civil rights violations, encourage people to be seen um, by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I, I, it's just, there's, there's so much inspiration involved in this story. You know, there, as I mentioned before, there were others who had refused to give up their seats, but she was really the first one to pursue this in a legal realm as well. And I think this is a, a big part of the story and um, even more uh, inspiring as well, that she challenged the law in court. She was actually one of four women plaintiffs in the um, order of Brow- Browder versus Gale which was the court case that successfully overturned bus segregation laws in Montgomery and Alabama. So after break, we'll we'll finish up, Phil, by talking about uh, why she wasn't the face of the
0: bus boycott and Rosa Parks was. W. Edwards Deming once wrote, the world is drowning in information, but slow in acquisition of knowledge. Help spread
1: information by following us on Instagram and liking us on Facebook today. Thank you for listening to The Missing Chapter Podcast with us, Phil Schaff and Phil Horander.
0: So Phil, after hearing the, the story that you just recounted, for me, there's really two really important elements to this. First off, her actions. Obviously, you know the, the bravery and the courage that she displayed by not giving up her seat on the bus. But the other important element is really who she was. And I'm thinking to myself, not only is she a minority in the United States in 1955, but she's also female and she's also a minor. I would have a tough time describing someone else who had fewer rights at this point in our history than Claudette Colvin. I mean, those three elements put her in a position really not to be you know, doing any of this.
1: Yeah, Phil, I think that's a great point. And that's really what... Caught the attention of some of these very prominent black leaders, who who really helped secure those lawyers she needed to get most of those charges. I think there was three or four. um, uh, Most of those charges dropped, but yeah, her bravery really does beg the question, though. I think why why Parks over Colvin, if really she was the pioneer of this whole movement? So let's let's get into some detail about that. So the leaders considered using her her image for a citywide bus boycott, but. Something just wasn't right, you know. Like you said, she was very young, uh, you know, fifteen years old, and they even said she was a little too emotional. Now, I think that's a little harsh because yeah. if I'm fifteen going through that, and for someone to call me emotional, I would say, well, yeah, of course, would anyone be? Right. But I guess when you want to be the face of a of a movement, it, all things have to kind of work together. So um, they said, especially because there was going to be a very difficult, trying time. Um, following this movement, if they were going to pursue this, that to serve as like a rallying figure, um, that would probably be pretty difficult if she was too emotional. So I can understand mm. that to a certain extent, even though I feel like that was kind of harsh. Um, Colvin actually said of Rosa Parks that she kind of had the right look. She had the right hair. Uh, her skin texture, she's quoted in saying, was uh, the kind that people associate with middle class. Mm. Uh, she she fit that profile, she said. Uh, Colvin also said that the NAACP, And all the other black organizations felt Parks would be a good icon because she was an adult. They didn't think teenagers would be reliable, Um, which, once again, I can kind of see to an extent. But in the same sense, I mean, she really is the the pioneer of this whole thing. But this is the tipping point. And this is when I I read this, I said, okay, that that kind of solidifies everything here for me. The tipping point was when they found out that she had gotten pregnant. And it was shortly after the incident. So Rosa Parks even said that if the white press got a hold of that information— know they would have had a field day and that that basically solidified their decision that she wasn't the right person for the job and that's essentially why nine months later when rosa parks was once again inspired by this 15 year old she's the one that that gets all the recognition and notoriety and uh and rightly so but uh that those are some of the reasons why colvin was not picked um over parks so parks was was the secretary of the naacp she was well known she was respected Uh, There's a historian by the name of David Garrow, and he said in his book, uh, Bearing the Cross, Martin Luther King Jr. and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, that uh, Parks had a, quote, natural gravitas and was, quote, an inherently impressive person. So that's another reason why they chose her over Colvin. But after the incident, you can imagine, especially after, you know, she became pregnant and this news was kind of going through her community, she was actually shunned by a lot of uh, her community, parts of her her neighborhood, etc., so she really needed a fresh start. She moved to New York City for quite some time, never really told her story to, to anyone. So it was kind of a one of those hidden pieces of history, which, you know, for you and I, we love digging up. But that's one of the reasons why, you know, we we don't know much about her. That's always the question. Why don't we know more about these little stories? Um, and for this sense, this is a huge story. But David Garrow, once again, the historian I mentioned earlier, said, quote, people may think that Parks' actions was was spontaneous, but black civic leaders have been thinking about what to do about the Montgomery buses for years. And he sees even more so now how really truly important it is to know that the black female heroines like Colvin, because he says in his book, the real reality of the movement was often young people and often more than 50% women. The images you most often see are actually men in suits. And I think that's a, a great point that I've really never thought of, you know, going back into my American history background um, in high school and college, that it, he's right. I, I think you know bringing this kind of history to light—it's it, just—it's very inspiring for men, women and all cultures alike. So, rightly so. March second is now actually Claudette Colvin Day in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, the city, un- <clears throat> excuse me, unveiled granite markers to commemorate Colvin and her three co-plaintiffs uh, in late 2019. So, it kind of seems like she's starting to get the recognition she deserves, and I, I rightly so because she is really. The woman who made a stand by being made to stand, and I, I think that's uh, you know that's the inspiration obviously behind our title and uh, that's the story of Claudette Colvin so um, I appreciate you all listening and uh, Phil we got a we got a great episode coming up uh, next week as well
0: that was a great episode Phil uh, a truly inspiring episode too, especially like you said you started this off by saying in the context of March and April and what we're celebrating in the country, a great episode that hopefully people really uh, listen to and enjoy. Uh, next week, we're inviting somebody back into the studio as our first uh, guest on The Missing Chapter, and it became easily one of our more popular episodes. So we're going to have a familiar face, a familiar voice back with us next week, and we hope to have you listening again.
1: Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander and I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the History Textbooks.